Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we're going to focus on brain conditions and how to give better quality of life to people suffering from them. Suffering from a concussion is bad enough, but it can be worse if you develop epilepsy as a subsequent cause of your brain injury later on in life. So how can you reduce that risk of developing subsequent conditions? Plus, we look at ways to help treat epilepsy in teens and children, and ways to compare the effectiveness of different treatments. Now we've talked about concussions here many times on the podcast and concussions are a form of mild traumatic brain injury. They normally occur after an impact to your head or like a whiplash type injury that causes your head and your brain to shake around really quickly back and forth. This normally results in an altered mental state, maybe losing unconsciousness, blacking out for a little bit. And typically, if you have a concussion, you'll probably be having headaches, confusion, lack of coordination, memory loss, nausea, vomiting, dizziness, things like that, even excessive fatigue. And concussions are a serious issue, especially for people who play sports, mostly because that once the brain starts getting concussions over time, these can take a while to recover from. And sometimes a sports person in the heat of the moment isn't in the best position to make the decision about whether to re-enter the field of play because they might be thinking about winning a match or getting back out there to help their teammates. Now, that's one aspect of concussions. But another important aspect is how we can treat that. And the main reason is there's no real good way to stop the symptoms of concussions aside basically from waiting for the brain to repair itself. And it's also quite hard to get a full measure on how damaged a brain is without obviously going inside of it. That of course is quite difficult. So researchers have been looking at different types of methods for diagnosing traumatic brain injuries and things like concussion. But another issue for people who can get concussions is how your body responds after having one. And this can occur in two different ways that rely on not only your brain's own health and and whether there's any neurological complications, but also to do with your immune system. And the way in which these work together and how they respond can tell us a lot. For example, it's possible after a traumatic brain injury to develop other downstream symptoms like epilepsy or others. And that's what researchers from the University of California Riverside have been investigating how to reduce the risk of developing a subsequent further condition like epilepsy later in life after suffering from a brain injury. Now the thing about epilepsy is that it can take years to appear, but the starting point of it is often a complication from a brain injury. And that's where these researchers are trying to understand how the correlation between these two facts occur and whether or not there's some way to intervene to reduce that risk sooner rather than later. And, of course, they looked at rats as, of course, the good model, the mouse model, rat model, to do this study. Now, working on rats whose immune system response is sort of similar to that of humans, they were able to identify that after a brain injury, certain parts of the immune receptor make the brain, well, more excitable. And that more excitable response from your brain can promote the development of epilepsy. And that's what researcher Vijay Sathakumar, an associate professor of molecular cell and systems biology at UC Riverside, was investigating. And they recently published this paper in the Annals of Neurology. Now, if a receptor 
in a neuron receptor in your brain that is, can be suppressed, preferably within a couple of days after injury. This sort of calms down the neurons in your brain and prevents them from getting overexcited or out of control, which can re obviously reduce the risk of the future development of epilepsy. Or, if it's not traumatic enough, it can sort of reduce it entirely from occurring. And this is a great sort of way of studying and thinking about brain injury. A lot of the time we get caught up about preventing or protecting the brain from injury. But trying to understand what happens afterwards is quite difficult, especially with something like epilepsy, which can take years to manifest. So being able to study the immune response of your brain is actually a really interesting way of viewing this area of research. And normally, actually, these things are studied separately, the immune response of your body after an incident and neurological complications. But by studying together, researchers like Professor Santakuma are trying to understand the differences between an injured brain and an uninjured one. And really, they're trying to prevent further injury after the substantive initial one. Now, the reason why they studied specifically concussions is they were trying to replicate exactly what happens in many football players, which is a big issue in the United States, as is many other sports players and return service people from the armed forces who also suffer from often concussions as well. Now, with the rat studies, they're able to show that if they target early changes in excitability, they can alter the long-term outcomes for these rats. And by blocking, in particular, the TLR4 signaling, which is a toll-like receptor 4, it's a part of the innate immune receptor in your brain. Now, the reason why they targeted that one is because following a brain injury, TLR4 normally is the one that sort of increases the excitability or reaction speed in the dentate gyrus, part of the hippocampus. And the reason why the hippocampus, if you don't remember, is important is that part of the brain plays a major role in learning and memory. So it's often used a lot by your brain, but if it's over-responding, that can lead to obviously things like increased risk of seizures. So by blocking this TLL for signaling shortly after the brain injury, it calms the brain down in its responses a bit, but it greatly reduces the seizure risk, and that is incredibly important. What they found in a really strange response and almost paradoxically in nature, if they tried to use a drug like Restorovid, and that drug in particular blocks TLR4 in an injured brain. If you give that to an uninjured brain, a healthy brain, you can actually induce epilepsy. Now that sounds a bit scary to think about, but what it's showing here is that this same molecular signaling pathway behaves differently in an injured brain and an uninjured brain. Now, that's quite important because it means that by targeting this one area, we can have a big impact on the way your brain responds. But it's not as simple as just giving everyone who we think might have a concussion this particular drug, because actually it can cause damage to people who don't have a brain injury. Nevertheless, it's really important to be able to have a better way to help people who have concussions to prevent them from developing further brain injuries like in conditions like epilepsy. Some great research from the University of California, Riverside, led by Professor Santhakuma, published in the journal Adults of Neurology. Now here in Australia, in particular the state of Victoria, the government has legalised medical cannabis and the main reason why they've done so is actually for helping treat people, or children in particular, with epilepsy. 
mostly because there's been a proven effect and benefit from using pharmaceutical cannabinoid CBD to help seizure control from epilepsy. And the Australian government followed a lot of research and trials and groundbreaking work done by Canada. But now a new paper published at the American Academy of Neurology's 77th annual meeting in Toronto, Canada, was actually looking at how effective these different forms of CBD, cannabinoid oils, are at seizure control, and whether of one type was actually better at seizure control than another. Because there's this whole concept of using, growing, obviously, the cannabis to produce the cannabinoid oil. And is one type or one strain better than another? Is it better to have artisanally hand-curated organic variants? Or is it actually better to be really pharmacologically controlled and produced like any other pharmaceutical drug? And that's what this study was looking at in particular. And all of this work was done by researchers out of the Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., including study author Nathan Cohen. Now, when we talk about cannabis, we often think about its stress-relieving and anxiety-releasing components. But CBD also has really beneficial and proven anti-seizure properties. And that's really important for people suffering from Linus Gestalt syndrome or Dravet syndrome. These are conditions which can lead to epilepsy in about many cases, 30% or more of children. And particularly it affects children and teenagers. And that's why having an effective treatment that reduces that risk and reduces the chance of seizures and epilepsy is really important. Now, CBD doesn't produce a high like the other parts of the cannabis components. Often, tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, is viewed as the main active ingredient of cannabis. This is the one that gives that high that people often make reference to. So the CBD instead actually is a more concentrated form that doesn't have any THC. And that's why it's an FDA-approved drug, especially for two severe forms of childhood epilepsy, which we just mentioned. And the reason why this is incredibly important is that, in particular, Travert and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome don't respond well to any other medications that are out there. But CBD has been proven to be quite effective for it. So it's really much the only choice. And that's exactly why it's been used now for many years to treat these conditions. Now the thing is, before a legalised industry was developed to produce these, people were simply trying anything that they could get their hands on. And it was noted that marijuana often had a benefit. So, people were trying artisanal forms of marijuana to try and refine out that CBD while in the grey market stage. Now, once, of course, the legalised industries began established and pharmaceutical CBD could be produced legally and sold and given to patients, it was quite interesting, and that's what this study was looking at, the benefits or the trade-offs compared to these two different sources. And so the researchers looked at the medical charts of 31 children and teens with an average age of 10, and they followed them for a one-year period. Now, all of them had some form of epilepsy. Now, of the group, 22 of them, so 22 out of the 31, were taking pharmaceutical CBD. And another nine were taking their own choice of artisanal CBD. And by artisanal, we mean one not produced by a large pharmaceutical corporation. Now, the researchers recorded the medication doses, the levels of CBD in the blood, so how much effective amount was in there, the seizure history, and what reduction in seizures were occurred, along with if there were any medication and other side effects. And what they found is interesting. 
those taking the artisanal CBD had an average level of CBD in their blood of around 31 nanograms per millimeter. So that's not very high when you compare it to the 124 nanograms per milliliter that those taking the pharmaceutical CBD were having. That means that obviously the artisanal CBD had a lower concentration as well as wasn't being absorbed into the bloodstream as easily. Now the researchers also found that the children and teens taking the artisanal CBD actually had a 70% increase in seizures during the study. Now that's obviously not good because the whole point of taking the CBDs is to reduce the risk of seizures, not increase it. But it's hard to isolate out whether or not that increase was due to the condition being untreated or as a response to the CBD. By comparison, those taking the prescription CBD, the pharmacological CBD, which again we talked about earlier, had a higher concentration, they had a 39% reduction in seizures, which means it was actually reducing the amount of seizures. So the difference there is almost 100% complete between 70% above and 40% below. And that's quite amazing to think about. Now, 11 of the participants reported side effects, and all of the people who reported side effects were the ones taking the pharmaceutical CBD. Now, these side effects included sleepiness, low appetite, nausea, and diuresia. And for that reason, six of those participants actually stopped taking that pharmaceutical CBD simply due to those side effects. Now, that's a really interesting point to make. Obviously, the pharmaceutical CBD had a higher concentration. It did reduce seizures, but it comes at a cost, and that cost can be other side effects. Now, the difference in seizure control is dramatic, and since that's the main concern of this study, it's important to say that that's important that it's working. However, the management of side effects is still pretty nasty and pretty rough on, on those participants. Six out of 31 is a pretty high number who just dropped out because they couldn't handle the side effects, which is fair enough. Now, of course, this study is only 31 people, so expanding it to a wider group is important to get a larger and more realistic sample size. But it's important to show that there can be a wide amount of variance as well as results from any of these treatments, and that once you have a pharmaceutically controlled ingredient, you can start to treat it like any other drug. And that means you can monitor and improve the concentrations to get the desired effect. But it also means that you can try and improve it to cut down on side effects because you know exactly what is in it as opposed to naturally grown. And that's why legalizing specific treatments like this is incredibly important because it allows industry chemists to get in there and actually target and do these studies and improve it to get better health for especially for people, children and teenagers in this case, that have no other alternative. There's some great research published at the American Academy of Neurology's annual conference by researchers from the Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From reducing epilepsy in brains of people post-concussion to using the right levels of CBD to help treat genes with epilepsy themselves. This week we focus on brain injuries and how to treat Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.